book of Exodus, chapter 19, one of the most important events to ever happen to the world happens. God, Yahweh, the one true God, He comes and He descends upon Mount Sinai. He is so big, so awesome, so unapproachable. In fact, there, the, the mountain becomes wrapped in smoke. The, there is a trembling with the thunder that happens and lightning flashes occur. It even says that he came and it, he descended like a fire on the mountain. And as he told Moses, he said, Moses, you can you can come up and you can bring Aaron with you, but don't bring any of the other priests and don't bring any of the other people, lest the Lord break out against them. You see, brothers and sisters, he is so holy, so righteous, so good that any man who has any uncleanness upon him would only defile, would only in his defilement be struck down to come near the mountain. And as God is so unapproachable, so awesome, I have to ask myself the question, what is he even doing there? I mean, think about this for a second, brothers and sisters. In the garden, we fell. God knows our past intimately and he knows our future. He knows that this covenant that he's about to make with Israel will be broken again. But yet he's still there. Why? What God has a con- so great, so awesome, has concern for a people like us, a man like me, so minute, so irrelevant in his presence when we compare. You see, this tells us a little something about who he is, his mercy, his grace and his love to pursue us to the end of the age, to get us back despite our own decisions, despite us digging our own graves. He comes and he says, I'm going to make a plan to get you back. And suddenly the people hear the sound of trumpets below piercing the ears of the people and the animals, everyone alike, everyone is struck with this sound. But why? Why does God come with this blowing of a trumpet upon that mountain? You see, brothers and sisters, I have noticed something about our lives. Most of our life, we go through seemingly on autopilot. We go through our lives, through the motions, through the cycles of our days and weeks and months and years. And then once in a while, we have these moments in our lives. And these moments are times when there was a you go through life and suddenly you stop, you look around and you're like, how did I get here? 
You look around and you, you evaluate, you see, well, well, look at how everything has gone right. And you see, oh, well, there's actually a lot that's also gone wrong. And you also notice, well, there's actually a lot that's going wrong right now in my life that I probably need to fix before there are consequences that come. And these moments that you experience in your life, these trumpet moments, if you will, are ones that you may think of experiencing when you might, if you've come to Christ, you had that moment in your life where you delayed your life down and said, I'm going to follow you, Yeshua. That was one of those moments because you realized you can't do life alone. You see, trumpets brings an interruption to our autopilot routine. And I want to submit to you that the blowing of trumpets on the timeline of history is marker are markers of the most important events that have ever occurred and will ever occur. You see, at Mount Sinai, the most obvious one, when there, those trumpets blew and interrupted everyone's autopilot routines, they were standing there and immediately as God descended and had the trumpet blow, everyone had an, a moment where time stood still. Everything went into slow motion. And everyone in a twinkling of an eye came to the revelation of how small they really are. You see, it's so easy to get caught up in how in our lives and how big all our issues and even us, how big we are as the main character in our lives. But we everyone realized that Mount Sinai in a moment we wait, look how big he is. Look how awesome he is. Actually, look how small I am. Look how small I, my worries have been. Another thing that happens is everyone immediately realizes their true motives. You see, brothers and sisters, what's so interesting about people is that we can lie not only to others about why we do what we do, but we even go as far as to lie to ourselves, to fool ourselves into feeling like it's okay so we can sleep well at night. You see, brothers and sisters, why we do what we do is everything to God's kingdom. Because you can give all your money to the poor, but if you did it because you want it to be seen, it's all for nothing, even though you did a good act. You wanted to go and, 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 and get on a stage and tell people about him. That's amazing. But if you did it for yourself, it means nothing at the end of the day. Our motives are everything whose kingdom is being built. That's determined by where our hearts are. And so when we look at our motives here, we try, we can try and comfort ourselves by lying to ourselves about our true motives. But I want to submit to you that the moment that trumpet blew, everyone who had weird motives immediately realized, oh, I've been lying to myself, actually. 
the reason I've been doing things haven't been what I've even told myself, never mind what I've told others. In the presence of the Almighty, we realize that we have nowhere to hide our lies, not even from ourselves. Another thing that happened in the hearts of the people is many of them, I believe, in that moment realized just how unready they are to encounter the Father. You see, it's kind of like a man who thought to himself, I want to go and parachute out of a plane. And he goes and he takes a few weeks to learn and practice everything he needs to know to do this safely. And he and the day arrives, he gets in the plane and they take off and gain altitude. And, and as they're up there, he's got his parachute on and the door opens and he sees the ground. And it's a long way down. And in that moment, even though he was so confident that he was ready in that moment, he realizes he's all but ready. And he realizes if only I was more, if I've, if I've only been more honest with myself before I got here, I wouldn't have had to come up here only to realize I should have just trained some more and got ready some more and thought this through some more. You see, brother, sister, sometimes it's easy to say we're ready. I'm ready to encounter the father. I'm ready to encounter the majestic son. I am ready. But the moment that that trumpet actually does blow and it will. And when it does, I want to ask you, are you going to be like that man with his parachute ready to jump? But only then realizing, actually, I am not ready. Having doubt, uncertainty fill his mind. But see, brothers and sisters, that man in that, with that parachute about to jump out, he is in a good position because he can just close the door. He can tell the pilot to go land the plane. I'm sorry for wasting your time, but you know I'm going to go down. But my question to you is, is when the trumpet blows, the trumpet, are you going to be ready? Because at that moment, there's not going to be a second chance. There's not going to be this opportunity to go land the plane and try tomorrow again. But while there is still time today, as you're hearing this, there is still time for you to think about what it'll be like to hear that trumpet. And in fact, this is why God gave us his feasts. This is why he gave us the Feast of Trumpets. It's not just to have a, an amazing gathering and party, but it's so that you can practice what it would be like to hear that sound. So that you when you get to that day and you hear it, you'll be ready because you're rehearsed. Brothers and sisters, I have to ask you the question. Are you on autopilot listening to me right now? Because I need you to be shaken awake from your slumber. Because see, the Feast of Trumpets every year is like a prototype to the great day where the trumpet will blow and all will be raised and the time will be up. But this is a prototype. This is a, a, a rehearsal moment where you can awake for a moment, look around and audit and see, am I actually ready for it?
You see, we read in Revelation 11 verse 15 about the biggest moment arguably in all of history that is about to come upon the world. And we read this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Everything points to this moment. Think about it. The garden happened. We fell as Adam and Eve sinned. And we were in that moment separated and cut off from our father. But here we read that there's going to come a day where an angel will blow a trumpet, a shofar, and that sound will pierce the ears of people and animals and the world alike yet again. And this will be the moment that this kingdom will be handed over to the Father. This world will be completely given to him for him to rule in. And he also says that in the end of that moment, and there will be like a twinkling of an eye and the dead will be raised imperishable. You see, brothers, sisters, this calls for us to do introspection. You know, people have often talked about trumpets, this feast as a day of repentance. And when, you know, I'll be honest, let's be honest, when we hear that word repentance, you know, we think, oh, repentance, right? It's that, that doesn't sound fun. What kind of a feast is that? When we say the word feast, we think of something that's that's a, a celebration. But when I tell you repentance, it sounds like you need to hit the floor. So how is it? something to be happy about. You see, the day of, our, of the Lord, that great day is going to be a day of joy because he has finally returned. But it's also going to be a day of great gloom and judgment because he has returned. We are happy that he has returned. But the reality is, is for those who aren't ready, it's not going to be look the same. Think about a man who grew up watching a particular movie, which he is extremely fond of. And he actually grows up with the desire to become an actor. And one day, the director of that movie he grew up watching approaches him and says, I want you to be part of my next movie. This man is going to be so excited and honored at this opportunity that he would leave everything, put all things on hold to get ready to become a part of this movie. And so it is with our father. When that trumpet is blowing, this is him saying, do you want to become a part of this eternal story, the greatest story ever told, the ongoing story. Will you become a part of that? Do you want it 
some people will look at that opportunity and say, I have always wanted, this is such an honor for you. Who am I that you are mindful of me? Can I be an actor in this movie? And they would put everything on hold for a grasp at this opportunity. You see, brothers and sisters, at Mount Sinai, that's what happened. When that trumpet blows, he told Israel, do you want to, you guys, do you want to be a part of what I am doing in the world and will continue to do in this world? Or do you want to continue being in Egypt? Do you want to continue being on autopilot, doing the things you used to do the way you've always done it with no change in sight? Or are you willing to stop and think about where you're going? A trumpet is blowing this day and God is now telling you, do you want to be a part of this? What are you going to say? You see, to the disciples, when they heard about this opportunity, they left everything to follow him. When Israel at Mount Sinai heard the opportunity that God is calling them out, they left it all behind. They left Egypt. They left Pharaoh, they left their homes and everything they ever knew. And they even left, they got to leave their slavery behind too, because that comes with it. Freedom is what he offers. But now there was a man called Judas. There was something that mattered more to him than this opportunity. Uh, what about um, Adam and Eve? There was something that mattered more to them. Or what about Simon the sorcerer? There was something that mattered more to Simon the sorcerer. These all had the same opportunities to become a part of a story, but some chose differently. What will you choose this day? What will you do? Is there something that matters more in your life than the father? Or are you willing to leave everything behind the world? Well, they laugh at the idea of repentance for some of them. It's because, well, they are evil in their hearts. They want nothing to do with goodness and righteousness and holiness and God. But for others, repentance sounds absurd because they simply don't know him. You see, you, if you're listening to this, you may have encountered him before. You may have discovered how we have talked about him, how great and awesome and amazing he is. But not everyone has had that knowledge and that encounter and that revelation. And if only some of them knew who God was, they would also jump at the opportunity. You see, if that director of that movie he walked up to another man, a man who's never watched these movies before. And he knows nothing about these movies, this other actor. And he says, tells this other actor, hey, you want to be a part of this? And this actor would be like, well, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. I've never heard of this movie. I, you know, I'm not in particularly drawn to it because he simply ha doesn't have the knowledge. But see, you see, as the father is doing the thunder, bringing the thunder here in our studio today. I want to just say, praise God, that's not us putting a sound effect on. Brothers and sisters, I say all this because God didn't just blow the trumpet for you. 
God, when he came at Mount Sinai, he blew the trumpet for Israel, but also for a mixed multitude of people, people of all kinds of tribes and tongues and people who are pagans who, who wanted to follow him. And the Messiah echoed this desire. He wanted the gospel to go to the Jew first, but to the world as well. And so what if we have a part to play? Did you know that the Father calls you a flame? That you are supposed to become a part of that fire on Mount Sinai? He says in Psalm 104, Verse four, he makes his messengers winds and his ministers a flaming fire. In Acts chapter two, God came and he poured out his Holy Spirit upon all men to fill him, to put himself in us. You see, when he was at fire on Mount Sinai, that is a picture of who he is. But now he came and he rested with tongues of fire on the heads of these men. And now he also goes on in the Psalms even and he says that you are like a flaming fire if you are a minister of my gospel. You see, Mount Sinai was a particular location on earth and that's where God started encountering Israel. But that's not where God is restricted to. He has chosen this day to fill his people with his spirit. And he has chosen to encounter the world, not just on a mountain, not just at a burning bush, a bush that is a fire, but in his people by putting a fire in his people. You are supposed to be a walking burning bush. You're supposed to be walking a walking Mount Sinai, bringing God's fire to the world. And this brings us to a very important aspect of this feast. You know, when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves, how do we celebrate it? What is it about? What does it truly mean to blow the trumpet? Because see, the Bible, it says something very simple on how to celebrate it. It says, hey, I want you to get together, observe a day, keep a Sabbath, blow trumpets, have fun. Right. We, we read this in Leviticus 23, 24. Speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. That sounds very simple, and it is. God made it simple to keep his feasts. But is that truly all? You see, brothers and sisters, while that is how we practically observe the feast, I want to submit that there is a much deeper meaning to all of this that the Father would like us to know. Because what would it help if we keep the feast in all its physical, practical ways, but we miss the point of it? You see, like I mentioned, that trumpet of Mount Sinai was blown for not only Israel, but the mixed multitude to hear. And that is a call for God's people and the world, an invitation to become a part of the only story that would ever really matter, his story. But let me ask you a question. Let me pose a challenge to you. What does it help 
And we come together every year in a secluded, secretive gathering of like-minded people, blowing trumpets, having our gathering, having our Sabbath, all things that are good. Don't get me wrong. But what if we do that, but we do it at the expense of blowing the trumpets for those in prison, for those on our streets or for our neighbors to hear? Is the purpose not for the trumpets to be heard by those who are sick even more so than those who are healthy? Would that not have been our Messiah's desire? I want to submit to you that we need to blow the trumpets for the broken. We need to blow the trumpets for the needy to hear. Blow it for the poor. Blow it for those who are hurting. Blow it for the blind. Blow it for the deaf ears to be opened and hear the sound of the trumpet to be invited to the wedding feast. Blow it for the drug addict. Blow it for the alcoholic to hear. Blow it for the world to be invited. Brothers and sisters, it is for me just crazy to see how God designed this. He made you to be his trumpet. It's not only about blowing a trumpet, a shofar, which is wonderful and powerful. That is already a massive part of it. Don't get me wrong. But it's also how you are a trumpet. Yeshua told a parable and he said in Luke 14 verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection the resurrection of the just brothers and sisters the resurrection of the just occurs at the blowing of trumpets and he is saying there will be coming a day when the trumpets will blow we will be resurrected from the dead and on that day you will be repaid for how you celebrated the feast of trumpets in essence every year when you had a feast it's great look there's nothing wrong with celebrating it with our brothers and sisters and like-minded fellowships and believers praise god for it blow the trumpets with them But God wants us also to go to those who need to hear this the most. Because ultimately, that's where Yeshua and his disciples found themselves. I want to submit to you that our enemy, Hasatan, he's very real. I don't know if you know this, but he's actually real. And he his biggest fear, I believe, with this feast is, is, is not only for us to start blowing the trumpet and obey the Father's instruction with this, but for us to approach the world with the reality of the coming day where trumpets will blow. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. One day, 
every single person, every single soul will hear the sound of the trumpet when our King Yeshua returns. But will it be too late? For many of them, it will be. And what if for many of them, it will be in your hands about whether they hear about the warning about what is coming? You see, Paul, as he talks about this, he says that the minds of the world, many of them have blinded minds and they have been blinded in that they cannot see the light. You see, brothers and sisters, I think we can all agree that our vision is our primary sense. You, if you look at the world, that's the main way how you encounter the world and perceive things. And Satan goes for that. He say, it says he, he tries to blind them from seeing the truth. But perhaps this is why God has come and decided to approach Israel and the world in the way he does. Showing up, not just in a way that they can see because they never actually saw him. They saw the the thunder and the, the smoke and the fire, but they never saw him. But they did hear the trumpets. Because see, if the world is blind, they cannot see. But that means that they still can hear. And that's why God shows. He says, I will come. And when I show up, and he has done this before, and he will do it again. When he shows up, he shows up with a blowing of trumpets. Where all will hear, even though they're blind, they will be able to hear him. And so, brothers and sisters, my question is, is will they hear from him through your life as well? Because we read in the book of Romans. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And you may at this point just think to yourself, wow, you know, PD, I, I get all this. It, it sounds wonderful and exciting and all of that. But I'll be honest with you. I feel like there's so much going on in my life. I feel like my problems are smothering me. You see, brothers and sisters, I know what's going on. There's so many of us who are feeling like we're in bondage. We feel like never mind us trying to be a light. We need to get see the light ourselves because we feel like we're in a tunnel and we don't know where the end of it is. You know, what's so interesting is when we look at Israel, think about them, right? They're they're coming out of Egypt. They just lost everything, like I briefly mentioned before, and they basically have just some plunderings with them, but they don't even really have a place to raise their head. They only have tents temporary dwelling places. That's really a distressing place to be. I mean, just I don't know about you, but our homes, right? Aren't they this most the most comfortable place we find when we want to go hide away? We go to our homes and we is we say even the words, oh, there's no place like home, home, sweet home. But Israel had no home. They were in a distressing moment of their life, but yet that did not stop them from encountering the trumpets. That did not stop them from hearing from God the callings that he is calling them to. And that did not stop them from saying yes, even though they had a lot of stuff going on in their life at that moment.
You see, it would be, it's easy for us to think, let me just get over this bump, this mountain. Then I'll focus on the callings of God for my life. But Yeshua told us, you need to expect life to get hard in the midst of following, following the callings he's placed on your life. So we can't have this excuse of saying, well, you know what, when when I have all things figured out, then I'll, I'll, I'll focus on these things. No, focus on what he has placed in front of you in the midst of your challenges and the Lord will pull you through. He will bring you deliverance. In fact, he goes as far as to tell us that trumpets, it's not just this interruption that he wants to bring into our life with this sound. It's not just um, this revival that he wants to bring forth when, when it is blown. But he actually also wants us to understand that there is deliverance in this sound. When you turn on the news, they're always trying to find a war to, or to report on. You know, you, and we've heard Wars and rumors of wars, you know, that that really gets people talking. But I want to submit to you. Do you know that you are in a war right now? I know that, the, you know, we look at politics, we look at the world. and we, Yeah, I get that. It's exciting. But do you know you're in a war right now? Do you understand that if you're going to wait for this war to pass, you're going to wait until he gets back? Because until he gets back and those, that lost seventh trumpet is blown by that angel, we're in a war. Until the kingdom of this world is completely handed over to our Father, we're in a war. And that means that things will be difficult at times in our lives. But he says this to you. He says, blow the trumpet. Trust in me. Be an agent of change. Be a disciple maker. Be one who blows the trumpet for those who need to hear it and for yourself. And get what he says. He says in Numbers 10 verse 9, when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and you shall be saved from your enemies on the day of your gladness also and at your appointed feasts and in the beginning of your months. God says, blow the trumpet when you are in war. When you feel like you're oppressed by an enemy, blow it so that you may be remembered by the Lord. And you see, he's saying, I will fight for you. Yeshua says, I will be with you until the end of the age, until this war has ended. And he goes on and he says, I don't want you to even just blow this trumpet once a year at the Feast of Trumpets, but I want you to blow it at your appointed times when you are in war and you feel oppressed. I want you to blow it when your time of gladness and I want you to blow it at the beginning of your months. You see, he wants you to blow it at your time of gladness so that you remember where your blessing of gladness has come from, because otherwise, how easily do we forget? He wants you to blow it on in your time of war 
so that you may be remembered and so that you would remember who fights for you and not so that you don't depend on yourself. You blow at your, at your appointed feast so that you may audit yourself, so that you may pause your autopilot, interrupt your life to evaluate whether you need to make changes and where to repent. And every month you blow it because this is a monthly thing, not just a yearly thing, a yearly thing all the more. But this is something we need to be doing continuously. We can't only once a year come and ask, are we ready? Because next month, are you going to still be ready? Brothers, sisters, some of us were living defeated. Some of us were living like the war has been won by the enemy. We think that the enemy is bigger, more scary. Let me remind you of how he descended upon the mountain. Ought I to remind you yet again that he was the one who came with fire and, and, and he was awesome. Everything was trembling. Everyone was scared. We are all unworthy. None of us deserve his presence. Who is he to even consider us? Yet he came. Do you understand how big he is? Don't tell me you have an enemy. That's that's even anything. The only reason your enemy, Hasatan, is something in your life is because you have made God to be smaller. You have made God to be less than who he is. You have thought of him as lesser. Brothers and sisters, do you fear God or do you fear Hasatan? Who do you fear? Because if you have a true fear of the Lord, because you know who he is, you have reverence for his awesomeness and power. You have perspective of your enemy for the baby he is in comparison to your God. May I even go here? I just feel like I should, even in our fear of the demonic. We have come to this place. We have blown up the enemy so much, given him so much credit, and we have totally forgotten the authority that Yeshua came to give us when he came. He said, I give you authority over not a, not a few or some, but all demons, all works of the enemy. I give you authority. It's like a father who gives you a power of attorney and says, I give you power of attorney over the enemy. I give you, I give you words that have power. Will you know it? Because if you don't, will the enemy not try and take advantage of you? If he sees you don't know who you are, you don't know the authority that your father has given you. The father is calling us to pick up our shofars and put the enemy back in his place. The more we lose sight of our father and who he is, the creator, the more we lose sight of Yeshua and who he is, our Messiah, the more we will be overcome by fear, unbelief and doubts. But if we know who he is and that he fights for us, what do we have to fear? All that is left to do is keep our eyes fixed on him and our callings. I want to tell you just a little story 
Some of you may not know this about me and my wife, Christina, but when we met, we were living on the other sides of the earth. I was in South Africa and she was in the United States. It's a far way around. And I asked her to marry me at that moment before I even lived in America. We then embarked on a journey where we had to live on our other sides of the world while being betrothed. And if you would ask my wife, how did she do it? Where did she find the hope for it? She will tell you that at the end of the day, she found hope in Messiah and looking forward to a wedding date. That wedding day was what if, if things were hard, right? Then this life, things get hard. And, and if and in relationships, things get hard and in, in missing each other, things get hard. But looking forward to a wedding date that fills us with hope. But it wasn't only just looking forward to a wedding date. You see, we are all looking forward to a wedding date of the bride and the bridegroom when our Messiah returns. But it's not just about looking forward to it because it's not enough. It's also about working towards it. Christina, my wife, she not only looked forward, but she prepared herself for me as I prepared myself for her. Just as Yeshua prepares himself for his bride, he said, I'm going to prepare a house for you. He expects his bride to prepare herself for him. Having her eyes fixed on that wedding date, but not only that, but making sure that her garments are clean. Making sure because one day he's going to come with a blowing of trumpet. Because see, brothers and sisters, at our wedding, it was a little different than a normal wedding. There was first her standing there, then a blowing of trumpet. And then I walked into the sanctuary where we continued our ceremony because that's what it's going to be like when he comes back. He's going to come with a blowing of a trumpet and then he's going to he's going to enter the sanctuary. And Christina, she had to make sure that she remains focused on our wedding date, on me as her bridegroom. She is not going to be like a worldly bride who gets distracted, a worldly bride who 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 has her ears veer off into other places, perhaps even to other men, such as a worldly bride would do. No, she keeps her eyes focused. Where are your eyes focused is my question. You see, you could tell me, well, Petey, you know, I, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty focused. But he's coming back for a bride who's equally yoked, equally yoked to him. Like the Bible says, hey, find a, um, find a husband, find a wife who's equally yoked on the same level as you spiritually. Brothers and sisters, you could tell me, oh, Peter, I feel equally yoked. And that's good. I think that many of us are equally yoked when it comes to keeping his law. We've, we've studied it. We've grown in knowledge, Ricks, and that's wonderful. But let me ask you this question. Let me challenge you today. Are you equally yoked in how he walked in the spirit as well? 
Because see, he was righteous, he was holy, he was without sin, spotless, and that's wonderful, something we ought to pursue. But he also was power. He also was filled with the Spirit. He also had freedom follow his life. And that ended up happening in the lives of his disciples. Do we have that? Because he's coming back for an equally yoked bride, like I said. Yeshua went around healing the sick. Do we believe that's something that he still does? Even through someone like ourselves, because I believe he's coming back for a bride who not only has a bridegroom who ministers healing, but if she's filled with his Holy Spirit, would she not also bring healing to this world? Yeshua was also a man a Messiah who casted out demons. Do you believe that you have the authority to do so? Do you believe that when that opportunity presents itself, you would step forward and do that? Yeshua and Peter, for that matter, raised the dead to life. When someone dies close to you or around you, does it even cross your mind that the dead could be raised? Brothers and sisters, Yeshua prayed through the night. The Garden of Gethsemane, his disciples fell asleep. As he prays through the night, can you even pray for an hour? Yeshua reached the world. Could we even simply reach our communities? But you know what that means? It means involvement. It means actually being there, present, smiling. Not just there to point the finger at why someone doesn't keep the law the same way you do. But are you going to show up and be there to be involved and be changed? Because Yeshua was involved. He wasn't just in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And that's, he was there, but he also was on the streets in the midst of those who needed to see his life-giving power and hear his life-giving truth. You see, Yeshua, he was one who, who had words of knowledge for people. That, that woman at the well... That Samaritan woman, he came to her with words about her life that he wasn't supposed to know. And it changed her from the inside out. Set her alight with his fire. Do we believe that he could give us words like that even today still? Are we going to be a bride filled with his spirit who would go there? Just a little story not long ago, I was honest, on, I was talking, I was preaching. And I was in front of people talking about the father and and suddenly on my heart, he placed someone in the crowd. I didn't know who it was, but my heart was so burdened out of nowhere. But I was listening. I was asking on while I was there. I was asking. I was hungry for a word. And he brought this word. There's someone here who is who's going through a hard time in their marriage. Who's about it's, it's falling apart. And I just started speaking what the father put on my heart about this marriage. And I started crying as he allowed me to experience what this lady experienced in her marriage. And afterwards, 
when everything was said and done, she came to me personally and she said, Petey, I want to tell you, I was that woman you spoke about. And this lady, what was for me so mind-blowing, brothers and sisters, is that the father cared so much for her and wanted her to know so much that he hadn't forgotten her, that he would stop me in my tracks to tell, to speak this out in the open, for her to hear her and be like, oh my, my father hasn't forgotten me. Because how else she needed to hear that she needed an answer. She needed to know that he is still with me. He hasn't left me. I still have hope in my marriage. He is still backing me and fighting for me. But if I did not listen, if I did not open my ear and incline my ear to the Father's voice, how will I hear it? And if I am not bold enough by His Spirit's grace, bold enough to open and speak it out, how will she know? How many of us are passing by these opportunities every day and people are missing out on the grace of God because we did not do what we were supposed to, because we did not walk in the spirit. Oh, well, we keep the law really well. We keep the Sabbath really well and praise God we do. But it's, it's time for his bride and his people to stand up. And be all that she was made to be. That you know that he died for you to have this. Like Yeshua didn't just die for you to be saved. Which is amazing in of itself. But he died for you to be filled. To tear the veil. To be filled with his spirit and power. Now if we don't, if we don't walk in his spirit. We make that go to waste. We say Acts 2 was a historical event. That's cute, but it's not relevant to my life. What a disgrace that would be. I wouldn't want to stand before him saying, Oh, I'm an equally yoked bride, ready for my bridegroom, ready for that trumpet to blow. But yet I stand there with a life where his spirit was absent because I never inclined my ear to see what he wanted to do. Brothers and sisters, where are we with this? Because this right here... I believe is where the father is drawing his body to. He is saying, I have revealed my Lord to you. I've revealed the beauty of it. But now I'm ready to reveal to you the next chapter. Are you ready to come on board and step on the water? And it's going to be way more scary than when I showed you my law. It's going to be way more daunting. It's going to look like, because see, the disciples, they received the Torah, obviously. They received righteousness through the Messiah, how to live right without sin. But the most daunting aspect of his walk for them was when he called them on water. Was when he healed the sick. Was when they were faced with a crowd of people who they didn't know how to feed. But he just said, don't worry, let's just, we're going we're gonna to see the Spirit come through. Oh, God is going to do something here. Will you not trust him? That was the, that's the most daunting aspects of their faith. And it's going to be the most daunting aspect of yours. And some of us have not arrived yet. May I say, none of us have. Yet we think we have somehow arrived because we can keep a Sabbath. Well, that's cute. The Pharisees kept the Sabbath. The Pharisees ate clean. The Pharisees did all these things. They didn't even know him. It's not really a badge. The question is, is will we be obedient, but will we even go further? 
to have great faith, to rid ourselves of the unbelief that's been keeping us down, to believe the authority has given us so we can partake with him this day in setting the captives free, so we can run into the streets to blow his trumpets. You see, brothers and sisters, many of us, we say, oh, if I could only be at Mount Sinai, that would be that would be it. That would be wonderful. Do you know what Moses said? He said, oh, God, how I wish these people talking about those who are at Mount Sinai and in the wilderness. He says, oh, God, if only these people, I wish how the, if these people could just be filled with your spirit. If that could happen, oh, Lord, that would that was Moses's biggest dream. You do understand that he's talking about what you have in your hands right now. Will you let that pass you by saying, I want what's in the Mount, at Mount Sinai. I want what the people have back there today. You have the law that's been delivered to you, but you have also something that is equipping you to be more like your Messiah than ever before. His Holy Spirit. Will you seek that today and be filled with him? So that in your eyes, there will be a fire. Father, I thank you, Lord, for coming with your spirit upon all your people this day, that you would fill them with power. Lord, I thank you for how majestic and awesome you are and that you have chosen us, that you have come back for us and continue and you will again. Father, I thank you that you give us new life. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only be set free, but become, become someone, a bride equally yoked, who will be able to set others free as well. Father, I pray that you would give us discernment and spiritual gifts and everything we need. Lord, and I pray especially for an anointing of boldness upon everyone listening to this, so that this year would be a year where their ears are pierced with your trumpets and where they are inspired and change to walk in your spirit like never before. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, God, and we thank you for your sacrifice. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this teaching has blessed you. If it has, consider partnering with us at Rise on Fire to continue making these videos to reach the nations with the gospel. We want, I want to say a special thank you and shout out to our partners who have made this teaching and every other teaching this month possible. Blessings and Shalom.